Good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of This Week's Episode. I am your host, Evan Goldstein, and with me as always is the lovely Karen Randazzo. I'm a Marine, Don. I will beat the shit sh- out of you. I don't care how many protein bars you eat. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> and the fantastic Chris Randazzo. I've learned to live on plaque. Uh, We here on this week's episode talk television, and this is the point in the recording where I usually say we get spoilery. But with that, um, this week is our Mother's Day episode. So what we decided to do was, you know, ask our moms what their pick for the show should be. And we didn't get any real current ones. So if you haven't seen Married with Children, The Newsroom, or The King of Queens... I, you're out of luck because we're going to spoil some of them. Um, Chris. Hi. We're going to go with your mom's choice first. Okay. So um, as Evan said, we asked our moms <clears throat> what episode they would like us to talk about on the show. And my mom picked uh, High IQ, Season 6, Episode 20 for Married with Children. And she picked this episode not because it was a specifically fantastic episode, but... Because we used to watch this show together as a family, which uh, I guess says something about our family. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, that says something about your family. Nice. Uh, and she just, she remembers us all just laughing our asses off to this episode. Um, and having rewatched it for this, I, um, I, I remember watching this and just laughing, laughing hysterically at, a, at the ridiculousness that is, uh, that is this episode. Um. So, Married with Children is a show that would not exist today. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> this show is uh, <laughs> is kind of brutal in the uh, big dumb men, um, horrible women. It's the characters in this show are terrible. They're all terrible, <laughs> but it's They're somehow actually horrible people. <laughs> yeah, but it somehow manages to be endearing uh, from time to time, like. I'll, I will never forget the episode where he, where uh, Al finally washed the Dodge, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be red underneath all that <laughs> rust and horror, <laughs> and uh, they were afraid that he got rid of, they, they cleaned out the trunk and got rid of something, and like he was genuinely afraid that they threw out the stuff that was in his truck, trunk, and when he found they didn't, the thing he pulled out that was so precious to him was a picture of him and his family. Aww. There were just these moments of them actually being a family in their own screwed up way. And this episode has uh, one of those quite enjoyable moments in it as well. So you've got the main plot of the episode is that Al comes home with the um, uh, some sort of workbench. It's like the Handyman 5000 or something like that. <laughs> and it is a assemble yourself to which Peg responds, um, well, should I put this down in the basement with all of the other crap you didn't do or something along those lines? <laughs> and he's, you know, Al goes into the hole. This is what's wrong with this country right now. Is it, nobody wants to build anything by hands. Whatever happened to the good old American do-it-yourself spirit? And then he goes down in the basement and Peg says something to the effect of, well, uh, don't, uh, don't forget you didn't fix those stairs. And he falls down <laughs> the stairs. And God, Ed O'Neill's delivery is, that that's one of the great things about this show is, is, Ed O'Neill and Katie Seagal, their delivery is so, so spot on. Um, uh, to back up just a little bit, I, I, I bought this episode on iTunes because that's really the only way to get this. American Social isn't really streaming anywhere. Right. Um, it was well worth the price of admission. But 
the theme song is different on iTunes. Shut they apparently, up. I don't know if this is the same for the DVD release, but Love and Marriage is not the theme song. It's just some generic song that sounds a lot like it. There's no Ooh, lyrics. Really? It's just like, it's a very clear ripoff of that song. But yeah, I guess they just didn't get the rights to that. Now, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was really weird watching the opening like that because, you know, there are no lyrics and it's like, it's such an obvious play on that. Right. But, um, you know, the intro still stands as being relatively amusing and they, they, I forgot about the bit at the end of the, the, the intro where everybody asks for money from Al, like, piece by piece like mm-hmm. you know uh, the kid co- you know bud comes down hugs peg then it puts out his hand and al's just sitting there dejected on the couch coughing up 20s and then even buck the dog comes <laughs> up and gets a 20 at the very end it's 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 hilarious so al starts trying to build this workbench and uh, eventually uh, marcy comes over the next door neighbor and she enlists jefferson to help and this is where the real comedy begins is just just dumb physical gag after dumb physical gag of the two of them being intensely stupid trying to build this thing <laughs> while Peg and Marcy sit at the kitchen table and just just soak it all in. Just sitting there drinking coffee <laughs> and tea and watching. I mean, they come to a point where they're looking at the instructions and like, all right, we need a, a couple more L-shaped pieces. Ah, darn it, all I have are these sevens. <laughs> <laughs> And it gets to a point where they have the seven pieces and like, well, let me see if I can fix it with this welding torch. (laughs) I swear there's a point in the episode where Al has a drill out. Jefferson, they, they're, you know, they're, the Marcy and Peg are talking at the table and then they just pan over to the two of them in the living room. Jefferson is holding a board, maybe five inches from his face. Al's got the drill on the other side of the board, pointed straight to his face, and he says, All right, Jefferson, now tell me when I made it through. <laughs> Camera pans back to uh, Peg and Marcy, and you hear, Ah! <laughs> oh my God. Oh, the the gags in this are, they they held up. Like, first off, the, the, um, the, the, the banter in the very beginning of the episode was, top-notch, spot-on, absolutely funny as hell. Like, just the initial banter between Al and Peg was just spot-on fantastic. And then it just went to physical comedy for the rest of the episode. The subplot was um, Kelly's waiting outside, just sitting outside, but assumes that she just got lost and couldn't find the front door. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she's actually waiting for a letter to get invited to this, like, uh, fancy-schmancy dinner party uh, with this, like, super smart people club. To which Bud is like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't even been able to get into this club. What is your, what do you, you're, you're insane. And so there, she's sitting there talking to Bud. The mailman shows up, drops off stuff. She continues to talk to Bud. Then she looks at him and says, now when will that mailman get here? <laughs> she actually said hi to the mailman when he, when he put the mail in there. Um, so Bud gets up, gets the mail, gives it to Kelly. She's surprised. Uh, and Kelly's making all kinds of really amusing, like, I think, therefore I am quotes, but she's saying them all wrong, so it's funny. But she did actually get invited to this party, which totally mystifies Bud, so he goes undercover to try to infiltrate said party and find out what the heck's going on. Turns out that this is a, um, I forget what they call it in the episode, but it's a party where you have to bring, you're supposed to, smart people bring stupid people, and whoever brings the dumbest person wins. Uh. And Kelly is kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
<clears throat> Bud finds out about this and does the brotherly thing in the most Bundyish way possible. It's peppered with insults left and right. But he says he explains to Kelly what's going on, and um, she uh, he proves it to her by asking a bunch of very uh, timely questions for when this episode aired. I think the uh, the the actual final proof was a painting of Dan Quayle on the wall as last year's <laughs> winner. So it was uh, definitely of its time. Oh, that's timely. But yes, timeless so, actually. <laughs> timeless. Yes. Gotta love potatoes. Um, the. Uh, at the end of it, uh, at the end of this segment, Bud basically says, uh, you know, Kelly starts feeling bad and she's all, okay, go ahead, Bud, make fun of me. And he says, no, we need to get back at these people the Bundy way. <laughs> and it just turns into a fight. <laughs> they just go in there and deck everybody. <laughs> and <laughs> Kelly rouses up all the other stupid people at the party and then they just beat the crap out of the smart people and leave. <laughs> it, and it, that is the Bundy way. That Absolutely. is the Bundy way. But you had that kind of sweet brother-sister relationship there. Like, yes, they're brutal to one another. But, like, when it comes to truly insulting the honor of another Bundy, they will stick up for one another. You can't and say not- that to her. Only I can say that to her. <laughs> exactly. Nobody picks on my little brother but me. Uh, it's funny. I wouldn't say that your sister... Chris is a younger brother of an older sister, just like in this relationship. But I wouldn't, by any stretch of the imagination, say that his sister is dumb like <laughs> Kelly. No, not at all. But aside from that, I could see this happening. Like somebody tries to trick your sister, you figure it out and help her. And then your sister's response to getting revenge is we're going to beat the crap out of these people. <laughs> like that's just something I see happening in your family. Is that that's not the, the way most way. families do it, though? I, I, I suppose so. Okay. All right. Just making sure. I don't have a brother, so I don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the, um, we go back to, uh, the, the Bundy household and, um, oh, how did he get electrocuted? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Al, oh, oh, he has a bunch of, uh, he, he wants to go plug, he wants to plug something in. I think it's like a circular saw or something. And he picks up this, uh, extension cord that's got like 35 other extension cords sticking out of it and peg says al don't you think you have too many things plugged in there and he gives this whole spiel like ah you don't know what you're talking about we're men we know how to plug things in and uh of course that you know turns into a double entendre (laughs) good times um al plugs it in and of course gets the crap electrocuted out of him jefferson jefferson goes i'll help you (laughs) goes to unplug it also gets electrocuted so at the end of the episode, uh, they come back to this, and Al is working all by himself, except Jefferson's still in the corner, standing still, completely electrocuted as, as hell. Um, uh, he's he's trying to finish it off. He puts a level on it, and it is so crooked the level just slides right off. <laughs> it's like it's it. You could tell that, that was what was going to happen, but it just it went slowly and went through the steps very deliberately of him placing the level on and immediately watching it fall to the floor. <laughs> Kelly comes down and kind of talks to Al a little bit about what her what her day was like, and Al goes through and says, well, you know, you're not dumb. He's trying to skate around the fact that she is really dumb, but saying that she just hasn't found what she's good at yet. Cheers her up. She stands up, looks at the workbench, bends like a couple of things, and then the workbench is flawlessly finished. <laughs> and then she goes upstairs, and Al is just like, I've... <laughs> Okay, it's done. <laughs> and he goes over to talk to Jefferson and also gets electrocuted, and that's where the episode ends. 
<laughs> you guys are to like help him out or something or give him a hand and he just at the last shot of the episode is the two of them being electrocuted with cheesy 90s tv effects and it's it's very amusing nice this show is fantastic it's it has aged oddly because it's very much a product of his time i mean peg is peg is an absurd character like the hair the outfit that just i forgot everything about, about the hair up until i looked this up on IMDb, I'm like, oh, oh my god, yeah, yeah. The hair is just insane. Another thing about this show is that it was filmed for a live studio audience, and the audience actively catcalls Kelly every time <laughs> she comes on stage. Ooh. Like it's just like lots of whistles and hoots, and it's like, wow, man, this and was that actually happened. <laughs> that actually happened with pride, yeah. and it's it's a different world now. It really is. That was. Well, if it wasn't for this show, we wouldn't have the Fox channel. No, you're this, absolutely this right. This is what started Fox being what it is today. Yeah. You know, that this show wouldn't air on any other station. Never mind today. It wouldn't air on any other channel then. Yeah. And they thought it was absurd and that it was way too far. And Fox said, yeah, let's let's do this. And they're still around, you know. And it was it was a damn good show. It really was. It was. I mean, it had its low points, as any show that runs this long does. And I mean, the the extra kid they added into the episode that was that was a low. Wait, point. there was an extra kid. I don't even remember that. Yeah, Peg, uh, Katie Seagal got pregnant, and they kind of wrote it oh. into the show. Mm-hmm. But the way they wrote him out of the show was fantastic. <laughs> he just kind of stopped showing up. <laughs> and then there was an episode like a season and a half later where the kid's face was on the back of a milk carton. <laughs> Outstanding. There was another, I think there was another time that Katie Seagal was pregnant and they, um, cause the kid was on the show for a little while and he was terrible. It was awful. And then it just, it just wasn't there anymore. <laughs> and it, was just, it was just amazing. Uh, and there was another one where it all turned out to be a dream. It might've been the same thing where it all turned out to be a dream. Like, they just wrote the kid out of the show. And it, it made me very happy. And Am I mistaken in saying <coughs> that this is where Ted McGint- McGintley got mm-hmm. the, 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 I don't know, the moniker of being a show killer? I yes. do not understand that. Okay. This is where he got it from, but okay. the, the show ran for like six seasons after he was on. Yeah. Like, no, no exaggeration. Like he replaced uh, Steve. I don't remember the actor's name, but he plays an excellent lawyer in Law and Order. Um, but uh, yeah, he was on the show for years, <laughs> years and years. So I don't, I, I don't, I do not know where that came from. Well, maybe it was just because after the fact he started showing up in all sorts of things. Once this yeah. ended, he was everywhere. He for was. A short period of time. He was very funny in this show. And you know what? It's it's great that most of the people in this show did move on to do other great things. I mean, obviously Ed O'Neill was a has a great career now with a Modern Family, and he's good on it. Casey Gall with a Sons of Anarchy, she was mm-hmm. remarkable in that. I haven't seen Amanda Bierce in anything. Uh, I looked at her IMDb credits; she hasn't really been in much. She was Marcy. Right. David Faustino did some great voice acting work, including some remarkable work in Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um. He was Zuko. I don't know. If oh, you knew really? That. No, I wait. Did not... No, was he Zuko? No, David Faustino, M- Rufio from Hook was uh, was. Um... David Faustino was not Rufio from Hook. No, Rufio from Hook was uh, um, Zuko. Oh. David Faustino was um, what's the character's name? Um, he, he Legend of Korra. Legend of Korra. He was Mako. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mako, named after the 
late voice actor Mako, and he was amazing in that show. Uh, David Faustino did great work in Legend of Korra. Uh, Christina Applegate obviously had a great career. Um, yeah, she she showed up in a bunch of other sitcoms and then had a yeah, sort of a small movie career as well. Yeah, yeah, she's she's oh, done just fine. The whole cast, I think they're one of the reasons that the show is so good, despite, you know... How awful it kind yes. of is. Yeah, uh, all the whole cast was total professionals. Exactly. Like, they... you couldn't ask for better comedians to pull, or co- comedic actors to pull this uh, the show off. Yeah, they really dedicated themselves to the roles. Like, they just bought it hook, line, and sinker. But I mean, like, man, when you think about stuff like No Ma'am, the whole, like, oh my God. anti-women <laughs> thing that, uh, oh my God... Oh my god! The absurdity that was his shoe shop and every everything <laughs> that went on in that joint. Yeah, every customer, oh, every horrible customer, and all of the horrible, horrible misogynistic things that he would say to those people. And the idea that that a uh, family could survive oh, with the uh, shoe salesman, shoe salary, salesman yeah. salary with a stay-at-home uh, wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! What you, what you I failed, mean, I have what you failed to mention is Buck. You know, mm-hmm. that was his real name. He was also the dog yeah. in Scrooged. Okay. He was. So wow. he went on to have a career as well. Way to go, Buck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad that this was what your mom picked because uh we used to watch this. I don't know that we watched it as a family. In fact, I have a distinct memory of getting trouble getting in trouble for sneaking up out of bed after my bedtime and like peeking over the couch and like my parents are idiots or something, and I they, they couldn't see me hiding behind the couch trying to watch the show. And I'm, like, covering my mouth, giggling, like, oh, they will never hear me if I cover my mouth. But, like, I, I know that my fa- – it wasn't that I wasn't allowed to watch the show. It was just on too late. Right. And we – at least my parents and I like this show, especially my dad. There was a lot of Al Bundy in my dad. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the good parts of Al Bundy and some of the, you know, kind of <laughs> not just... so good parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there's, there's, dads. there's something about all dads that says, you know, sitting on the couch with your hand in your pants. Like... <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I will. What's what's funny is you've mentioned the whole sneaking downstairs and, and watching the TV. I, I only remember trying to do that once. And then getting bored and going away because the show they were watching was Designing Women. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, this isn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. What a wasted effort (laughs) this was. Went back to bed. (laughs) I'm glad your mom didn't pick that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that was my dad's show more than my mom's. (laughs) Tune in for our Father's Day episode. (laughs) (laughs) Where we review Designing Women. Oh, my God. Oh, God. I can't even imagine what my dad would pick for this. (laughs) All right. Very good, Chris. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go next. And, uh, okay. So when I I spoke with my mother, I was like, Ma, I I need to know what your favorite television show is. And she quickly responded with, why? And I said, can you can you just tell me? Because that's moms. Because that's moms. But that's that's fine. I said, could you just tell me what your favorite show is? And she goes, well, I don't really watch TV. And I said, well, I know you watch TV. Just tell me what your favorite show is. And then she proceeded to rattle off, I don't know, half a dozen to a do- dozen different shows and channels that she watches. But not making a very specific, this is my favorite show. Now, when we first started talking about this theory of the, of the Mother's Day episode... In my head, it immediately popped 
was the King of Queens. Because I remember my we were buying her the box sets. She loved the show. And in that rattling off of 12 shows, she didn't mention it. So I'm like, really? Eh, all right, I'll figure out something that you said. But I really went, I really thought it was going to be King of Queens. And then she went, oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> uh, so there, she, she didn't give me a specific episode. So I have seen, oddly enough, just about all of these. And I picked this one because I felt it shows the, the, every character and their, weirdest aspects of them um the show uh the episode that i've chosen is season two episode three assaulted nuts uh the show is about doug and carrie heffernan they are a married couple who live who give uh residency to their her father if i'm not mistaken yeah it's her father arthur spooner and mayhem ensues every episode but the mayhem specifically in this one starts off because Doug and Carrie have an argument because Carrie's cleaning out the spare room because she needs an office. And the reason she needs an office is because Doug and Arthur are constantly yelling at each other or are calling for each other or just being idiots. And and that is shown to you because she's sitting at the kitchen table or the dining room table and Arthur from the basement yells for Doug and Yells again to no response, and then Doug responds with what? And Arthur says, I need you to come down here. He says, I'm busy. Arthur responds with, you're dizzy? No, I'm busy. You're dizzy? No, busy with a B. Well, come down here anyway. Hold on to the railing. I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) What do you need? He goes, I can't get the nudie channel. (laughs) He responds with, we don't get the nudie channel. Yes, we do. We were watching it last night. No, that was Nightline. So <laughs> she then proceeds to leave and go do what she needs to do to make this office perfect. The argument is spurred because she's trying to get Doug to help. He's got to go off to work. She sort of infers that he doesn't work very hard when he's at work. So why is it such a big deal? She's trying to do this for herself. Argument, argument, argument. They split. He goes to work. Then we flash over to him at work, and it's him, and he is a delivery guy for, like, a UPS-type service. He's always wearing brown shorts. And they are in, like, the locker room area, and he is shooting a staple gun at a coffee can that's about 20 feet away. <laughs> so he shoots. That's a good time. Yeah. He shoots, you hear, ting, and then his buddy goes, 86, ting, 87. He get he starts getting all fancy. Ninety one apparently was the record, which he made, and then he was, you know, urged to continue. And at he shot behind his back, behind him, and then he went to go, you know, put his leg up to shoot underneath his leg. Now, if you don't know this, Doug Heffernan is kind of a husky fella, and when he reached his arm behind him, he didn't clear himself so that the staple went through his leg it is at this point that we see that he has shot himself with the staple uh it looks like it's in his arse but it's it we find out because he can't move uh he calls over his buddy uh deacon big black guy and he's like um come here i need i i think i shot myself and deacon says where and he points down 
very, you know, gingerly, and he's like, in a very bad place. And Deacon responds again, where? And he goes, right in the twins' playpens. I was like, oh my god. This is un- this is uncomfortable. For the rest of the episode, he is walking around with a staple in his scrotum. Now, Ow. Yeah. Now, at 1.30, he needs to go to the bank to sign up for a loan with his wife so that they could do the remodeling. He tries to go to the hospital to have it removed, but the wait is so long that he has to leave. And at one point in time, Arthur has to come down because he forgot his insurance card. Like, the, the, the situations that happen are all very loosely tied together at the fact that he can't walk properly and it's he's clenched the entire episode whimpering which i am like i i don't know if it's childish of me but every time he whimpered i giggled like i felt bad and his and and sorry for him but i couldn't help but laugh at it um arthur comes brings him the the, the insurance card and while he's there he's like he's asking him questions he, he didn't tell him while he was in the hospital and he, he relays the information and Arthur quickly goes let me see and it's like my, my shorts are, are stapled to me I, I can't take them off and Arthur then proceeds to duck down he's like oh, I've been in this situation before and then it, it's like what do, you, what do you mean you've been in this you've stapled yourself before he goes yeah staples rivets nails like he <laughs> <laughs> So he has to leave the hospital to go to the bank, meet up with Carrie. They get there. He's like very curt and very short this entire time because he's in pain. Carrie thinks she's still mad at him for the argument in the morning. So she's apologizing and he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's fine. That's okay. She goes, you know, if you're still mad at me, just, just say it. And he's like, I'm not mad. Everything's fine. So they go into the, 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 the loan officer's you know, office and she's going over all the steps and all the procedures and all the option it's taking forever. And he is sweating profusely because of the amount of pain he's in. She, the, the loan officer has to take a phone call. Carrie finally says, what's, what's wrong with you? And he, he whispers it in her ear and she goes, you shot yourself with a staple in the mall. <laughs> and then he calls her in again. He repeats, she goes, Oh, can I take a look? So she ducks down out of camera to see. The episode ends. They get the loan. I don't know if that that matters to you. But the episode ends with Doug back at the hospital. And he's got his legs up in like as if they are in stirrups. And Carrie's standing behind beside him patting his head with a wet cloth. And all you see is the doctor's head as if he's giving birth to something. And he's like, all right. All right. Hold on. Hold on, you're doing good. It's almost there. I could see it. it. It's coming out. It's and the the tears of laughter that are coming out of my eyes because of the amount of pain that this poor man is in was I like I felt like I felt like I needed help. Like I shouldn't get the, what was that? Uh, Frottenschoid? Frottenschoid? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. I mean, this is exactly the definition of that. Everything is solved at the end. They make up. Staple is out of his nuts. Credits. As the credits roll, it sort of goes to like old timey sepia video and it's of a giant, it's of a, the exterior of a big ass warehouse. And you hear 
voices. It's one guy saying, Arthur, don't carry that rivet gun in your pocket. And Arthur responding with, don't you tell me. Ka-dunk, ka-dunk, ka-dunk. Ah! And fades to black. <laughs> <laughs> this show is is like two idiots and a, a woman that is just striving to keep her sanity. It is so fun and so silly that I understand why it ran for as many seasons as it actually did. And I feel I may be wrong, but I feel like this is the first time a show did the thin woman, fat guy aspect of a sitcom, which just right then and there is silly and funny. A lot of shows after that breached, you know, bridged off of that. I mean, it's a lot of fun, very entertaining. And, and I mean, it's a half hour. It shows that you don't, there's, there's no through plot line of any show. There's, there's nothing, you know, linear about it. It's just at one point in time, I think Lou Ferrigno moves in next door. So he pops into the show every once in a while. I mean, Pat Oswald was on this show for a couple of seasons. It's a, it's a good show. It's very, very entertaining. So, I haven't really uh, seen this, but the more people you say are involved with it, like Arthur is played by Jerry Stiller. Yes, he is. Um, which I think I knew but forgot. And then to say Patton Oswalt is involved and I mean, Anne O'Meara was on this show at one point. It sounds like, you know, it sounds worthy of time given the talent that's involved. It's big, dumb fun, as I like to call it. Something that it's not like, don't sit down and watch it for, you know, award-winning cinema. It's not that. It's people being put in silly situations that you can laugh at and, you know, maybe feel guilty about afterwards. So, I enjoyed it immensely. I'm glad I'm glad this is the, the show that we, d- we decided on. All right. What do we got next? Uh, Karen. Mm-hmm. Karen. Yeah. Now, um, my mom went in a different direction. <laughs> and there absolutely no fault. I mean, I'm actually really glad that she she chose this. So my mom is a lady of impeccable taste. <laughs> uh, she has also been accused of being a communist, and that's not too far off the mark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I mean, she cares about things. She cares about like politics justice taking care of people taking care of the earth making the world a better place um things that she has tried to instill in me and i think she was somewhat successful uh so when she was suggested as this the pilot of the newsroom as an episode of tv that she said quote stands head and shoulders above the rest i was like not at all surprised (laughs) um so the show's from 2012. Uh, so s- somewhat bittersweet. Uh, this was after I had moved, long after I'd moved away from home. Uh, but had I lived at home, I can see this being something that my mom and I would have made time to watch together every week. Um, we both love Aaron Sorkin. We both watched The West Wing together when that was on. And... Uh, and this show is sort of a combo, I think, of um, The West Wing and another Sorkin show, Sports Night. Mm-hmm. It takes the kind of behind the scenes of TV show aspect of Sports Night and combines it with the political commentary that West Wing 
had, and it tells the story of a uh, fake cable news show uh, that reports on actual things that actually happen in the world. Um, I think, like I said, this comes out in 2012, and I believe the first story they report on happened in 2010, so they're with the perspective of, you know, 18 months or two years in the future, looking back on these events. So um, these are actual events that take pl- took actual place? Actual events, yes. That's a neat um, So, our, in, in the opening of the pilot, uh, you get a pretty good introduction to the main characters, Will McAvoy, played by Jeff Daniels. He's on a panel at a, a college, and uh, there's a liberal on the panel and a uh, conservative. And they're all debating the merits or, um, what's the opposite of merits? Whatever. The negative sides. Demerits? <laughs> Demerits? <laughs> Duh. Merits? Of, uh, of democratic socialism, which I find funny now, considering, like, we have a, uh, a democratic socialist candidate running. Mm. Like, we were saying before the show that we... Chris and I were saying that we really wish the show was still on now so we could comment on what's going on in the world right now. Uh, I would like to see what they would make of Bernie and Trump. Um, <laughs> so you could tell that Will's not feeling so well. We also, uh, he, he, he sort of seems kind of out of it, may or may not be seeing a woman he think he finds familiar in the audience. Um, we also learn from the host of the panel that he's an anchor on a popular cable news show and he's been called, you know, they insinuated that he's popular because he doesn't offend anybody. He doesn't take a public stance one way or the other on any political issue. Um, and that's why people like him. They call him, they compare him to Jay Leno, um, which, ew. (laughs) Um, so in the course of this event, there's a student gets to students get to ask questions and one of the students asks all three panelists what makes america the greatest country in the world <laughs> god i love this from the coast i did it <laughs> and i was the one uh, god i love this scene um <laughs> uh and it's sort of like as each panelist answers you get like their character in three words like the the, uh, liberal says uh, opportunity and diversity and the the conservative is like freedom and freedom are they are they recurring characters no you don't never see these people again okay um and will kind of refuses to answer and does his like affable likable inoffensive thing uh but the uh the host of the panel pushes him to answer and he's still seeing this woman uh, in the audience, and he, she's holding a sign that says it's not. And he finally, like, reaches his breaking point and goes on the sorkiniest rant of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case you didn't, weren't sure who is in charge of the show, now you know. <laughs> and it is probably one of the best sorkiniest. Like, it, it's, it's sorkiniest in, like, the best way possible. It's, it's a thing so of beauty, good. really. It's so good. It's... It's like there was that one of those things at the beginning of Studio 60 as well that was really good. This trounces that one. This, this one is this shows so good. up. This showed up on social media, like it shows up like every <laughs> six to eight months, just randomly. This scene, mm-hmm. and I wasn't aware that it was from the newsroom. And then when I watched this, I was like, "Oh my 
god, oh, that's that. why it's yeah. just so good. <laughs> and in context, it's that much more powerful. Yeah. He uh he just kind of goes on and, and you know you you can tell how you get a really good sense of this character and you you can see that while he feels you know he has a certain beliefs like he exposes the flaws in both ideologies of both the other people on the panel and talks about how good things used to be when you know in years or i guess decades past when you know people were People were informed and cared about things, and now, now these days everything's gone to hell. Is kind of his stance, and uh, he he advocates for having an informed public that can make good decisions and care about things. Um, it's the, basically the point of his speech is what the woman in the audience was holding on the sign, the signs in the audience, which is "It's not, but it can be." Was the other sign that she had. Um, and then he storms off the stage and everyone's mad at him and he's like, oh, I am taking vertigo medicine and I don't know what the hell just happened. <laughs> I like, and when and I watch DA Jack McCoy <laughs> saves the day. <laughs> All right, we'll get there. I didn't, I couldn't tell watching it if that was real or not. Like if he spun that real quick to come up with it with an excuse or yeah, really we, did he just black out and <laughs> sorkin it out, you know what I'm saying? I um when I rewatched this, I also had this I mean, I had that same thing when I first saw it and again when I rewatched it not remembering, I was like, "Wait, does he not know what he was saying?" Later in the episode, he he says something about I didn't have a lot of time to think. And so like that makes me think, um, "Oh, no, he was just making that up as an excuse." In this episode, um the bit with Mackenzie, um, she denies being there, right? I will get to that at the end, okay. but yeah. Okay. Um, so then we go to the Newsnight office, which is the Newsnight is the show that he works on. Um, and it's two weeks later. Um, we get to meet a couple of the staffers. There's really almost nobody there. Um, we meet Maggie, who is uh, was an intern. Um, that Will is kind of such a blowhard that he just assumed she was her assistant, his assistant, which is a joke we've seen before on Sports Night when they, somebody else assumed that they had an assistant. And she decided to stay because it's a good opportunity for her to go from an intern to having a job and, uh, and also out of loyalty. And we meet Don, who is the executive producer, uh, Maggie's boyfriend, and kind of a douche. Mm-hmm. Um... They send, as soon as Will comes in, they send him up to Charlie's office. Charlie, played by the amazing and fantastic Sam Waterston. (laughs) He was, like, I don't, I, he is so good. (laughs) I swear to God. His character in this show is a cross between Jack McCoy and Foghorn Leghorn. (laughs) It's the greatest thing in the history of mankind. Don't get me wrong, I know how much you love Jack McCoy, and Jack McCoy is a fantastic and wonderful character and belongs in the pantheon of television. But I think that Charlie is the role that Sam Waterston was born to play. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Charlie explains what's going on, that there there's a, somebody from Will's show that got promoted to an anchor spot on another time slot, and that Don, the executive producer, is going to go with him to that time slot, and that Everybody else who works there is following Don. <laughs> and so he has no staff on his show. And the time that uh, he was away, everybody just decided to jump ship. Um, 
So there is a meeting going on of the staff of this show, and it's Will a, barges it's a into pizza it. Party. <laughs> well, yes, it's a it's a meeting. You have pizza. Yes, it's a meeting with pizza. Um, so they're having a pizza party, I guess, and Will storms in and confronts Don. Uh, so we learn that Don decided to take this opportunity because Will basically blew up at him. Uh, in front of the entire staff and uh, doesn't treat him very well and is, is hard to work with and hard to be around. And uh, <laughs> he, he just, he's letting it, he's really letting Will have it until Sam Waterston steps between the two of them <laughs> as they're fighting and breaks up the fight, uh, it, you know, spouting the quote that I said at the beginning that he'll be, beat him up, <laughs> which the notion of, of Sam Waterston beating up this guy is, is, fantastic i am a marine is what the man said (laughs) (laughs) um so they you know the situation is diffused and he said don says he'll help with the transition and all this stuff and will kind of backs off um we then find out that charlie went behind will's back to hire a new uh producer for the show and uh, we kind of don't get all the details, but we know that Will's pissed about it and he's going to go to his agent and see what he can do to get rid of this person because he doesn't like her. Um, and then we see her show up at the office and it's Mackenzie McHale played by, God, I forget her name, but she's British and she's fantastic. <laughs> um, and she was the woman that Will was thinking he saw in the audience in the event in the beginning. It's Emily Mortimer. Um, Emily Mortimer. Thank you. Yes, she's fantastic. Uh, so she, Will's not there, and so she kind of like meets the staff that's there. She bonds with Maggie. Um, finds out that she she's one of the few sticking around because of her loyalty, and so Maggie, I mean, uh, Mac, promotes Maggie to associate producer. So she's gone very quickly from intern to assistant to associate producer in like a heartbeat for no damn reason. <laughs> But she's like, no, I'm crazy about loyalty. You have a job. Um, and then we meet uh, Jim, the senior producer who came along with Mac. And uh, <laughs> he's upset because he's just finding out that there's some friction between Mac and Will. And he thinks he's not going to have a job. And he's like, I put down a security deposit. What the hell are you doing? Uh, she won't tell him like what the deal is. She says it's personal. But uh, she tells him it's going to be okay. They're in it together. And she also, after Maggie is not in the scene anymore, is like, that girl, you know, you two are going to get together. Because she's just like, I know you have a crush on me. And uh, she's just like I was before I turned into who I am now. <laughs> just like very weird. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. And it is a very strange thing to say to somebody. I feel like situation. she was using it as like a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does feel that way. Absolutely. So um, Will comes back, and from this point, we got kind of two stories running at the same time, uh, one of which is uh, Mac and Will being reunited. Um, They go into his office to have a big conversation slash argument. Um, We get the idea that they have a history. They have some kind of romantic history. He's pissed about something she did. Um we learn that he just came he just came from his agent's office where he gave up a ton of money in his contract to get the option to fire her basically whenever he wants 
it's like at the end of every week, but it's whenever he wants. He he can get rid of her as he pleases. Um, because that's how hurt he is by whatever it is she's done. Um, she's, you know, we learn that she's tried to apologize and he's not having it. She tries again. He doesn't care. Um, and then she's like, okay, fine. You're pissed at me. Just don't take it out of my staff. If you fire me, please keep them. And she manages to get him to agree that he will, you know, at least give them a fair shot. Um, and then she starts, <laughs> having established that, she starts campaigning for what she's going to do with the show and how she's going to change it and make it great, which totally goes against what he's doing now and what he's fi- found success with, which is this inoffensive kind of, um, you know. Soft newscasting. Affable, exactly. Um, softball journalism. And uh, she she appeals to the side of him that we saw in the opening of like his desire to inform the public. And uh, <laughs> he fires back that it's impossible because the, the public are idiots. And she just keeps lobbying. We can do better. We can. T- it's a it's a fantastic scene. The back and forth between these two characters, and you, it's sort of like you can almost tell they're on the same side of the argument. But he doesn't want to admit to being on the same side because he's so pissed at her about other things. But we don't know what those things are. That one there was like a a couple of lines like in the middle where she is pleading for the rest of her crew. Like you know she, mm-hmm. you know they put down the deposits and whatnot. And then he responds with, well, they were wrong. They trusted you type of thing. Yeah. But the, the, with the ferocity of, oh, oh, like he is really upset. Yeah. Not, not just at the situation that is happening because this was all done behind his back, but there's something really, really big. Yeah. Whatever she did. And we don't, and I know you haven't, you haven't seen beyond this first episode, but you don't find out what that is for a long time. Uh, but we do eventually find out. Oh, yes, okay. you do. It's not just like a mystery thing that you're just like, oh, you can make up what it is in your mind. No, they tell you. Um, so while this, uh, fight is going on in the newsroom, uh, Jim, who the new producer is sitting there and he notices a, a story come up on the computer, um, which he tries to get their attention and Don's like, oh, it's, it's not important. It's categorized as yellow and we don't care about these things until they go orange or red. So Jim's like, <laughs> he's sitting there with nothing to, nothing to do and nothing to lose anyway. He looks into it, finds out that there was a oil rig explosion. And this is the, the first hint you get about the fact that this show covers real news stories that happen because it's the Deepwater Horizon, um, oil refinery explosion that ha- that happened off the coast of Louisiana. And they give you a little um, chyron on the bottom that gives you the date mm-hmm. that it happened in 2010. Um, Don's still ignoring it. Uh, Jim gets a call from a source and, you know, the story starts to develop. People in the newsroom start, like, looking into it. And t- Don- There's a lot of uh, hit measuring going on where Don is just like, I'm... I work here. You don't work here. You listen to me. You're disrupting my newsroom. And it's really just Don trying to maintain a sense of control and Jim being like a good newsman and following an actual story, regardless of the fact that there's some error in the computer that has it miscategorized as less important. Um, he finally like storms past Don and gets the story into Will and Mac, um, explains how big it is and everything. And, 
Don is still arguing against that he doesn't trust this new guy, and Jim is reluctant to give up his sources, because when he does, you find out it's his college roommate and his sister. Not Which, you know, to to some brand new guy just walking in the door, like, there's no way for them to know whether these are credible sources. Um, but they, they trust it based on the fact that Mac... Uh, trust this guy so will decides to run with the story and they all you know mac charges into the newsroom and drives the team and reports the story <laughs> don immediately flips sides as soon as the song as soon as like they're taking they're running with the ball of the story he's like all right let me help let me do things and uh we get to see a little more of don's skittish character don is one of those characters that it's amazing. I, it seems to be one on every show I watch where, like, when they're introduced, they're the most, like, ickiest, disgusting, chauvinist, yeah. guys. And then as the show goes on, like, whatever, wherever they started, they totally grow into, like, one of my favorite people on the show by <laughs> abandoning all those Yiddish characteristics. Like, as the show goes on, Don just gets to be such a great character. Um, but right now he's just, uh, Maggie's like trying to help with the story, but she's, you know, very inexperienced and he's criticizing her every move. Um, they get into, they're getting close to the airtime and Mac goes into the control room and <laughs> she has a great, great scene where Will is at the, at the anchor desk and she, you know, her kind of harasses him over the, uh, headset <laughs> just to demonstrate that like. He can do whatever the hell he wants at any other time, but when they're on the air, she's the one in charge. <laughs> I own you between eight and nine. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they go on the air with the story, and Will is on fire. It's like the greatest show he's done ever. Uh, he goes after, you know, there, there's the implications that... So there may have been some shady things going on at Halliburton, which is one of the contractors that worked on the oil rig. And and so Will, like, attacks that guy on the air. Um, Maggie gets a big score. She gets some exclusive info from uh, one of the safety inspectors, and they get him on the air and interview him. Um, and it's just, it's a great show. And it there's not, you know, I could go on and on about the story, but, like, they're just kind of condense this whole news report down in a way visually and with the storytelling that you can tell that they're doing a good job i don't know how to explain it but like he 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 does exactly what he wants to do but felt that it was the wrong thing to do for ratings right it's it's like it's not exactly a montage it's more than a montage but it's not you know it's not the full news broadcast yeah, they, they the way it's cut. It's yeah. very interesting. Um, so everybody's happy after the show. Charlie comes down and congratulates uh, Will and then admits to bringing, being behind the whole plan to bring Mac in because this is the kind of show he wanted to do all along, which <laughs> is a very, um, very Isaac from Sports Night thing to do, where he kind of like manipulates people to, into doing like what he wanted to do so his hands aren't really he's not really implicated in it but you know secretly he's on their team uh it's like he's like you know i just wanted to be able to sit down and watch the news again and then i yeah. remembered 
I run the news. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we see a little flirting with Maggie and Jim, a little hint that that might go somewhere. Uh, Don tries to get into Maggie's... Uh, I, I, it's almost like he sees that she, you know, did a good job and he tries trying to like make up to her for being a little earlier. Um, Will comes out and recognizes Maggie as like a team, like having been a successful part of the team where earlier in the episode he didn't even know what her name was. Right. <laughs> um, Don apologizes to Will because it, because of their fight earlier. And then we find out that this is they they're the only show on the air who covered this story, at least covered it in the way that they covered it. Like they kind of did a whole special news hour about this one story and everyone else was like, just covered things that were going on in the world that weren't too controversial. And at the end, they kind of reported this as a thing that's happening, but like not that there's it was all they, sorts um, of as a rescue thing because there yeah, was still like, some trapped people or something. Exactly. Not the they, giant they reported oil it more than a, a news story than as like investigating what caused the explosion and and what sort of you know who who's at fault. Um, and Will is like, we did a good show, but I'm still not feeling really good about this like whole news approach that we did. Um, so. I guess the coda to the the whole thing is this is between Will and Mac. We find out that uh, they were involved, and they have this kind of sweet scene where she's she's trying to like sort of make peace with him, and brings up this this memory of when he met her parents. I guess when they were dating, and uh, he remembers it so fondly and in such detail <laughs> that you really can didn't tell see like. That coming behind all this like ire that he has spit at her the whole episode like there was buried underneath all of that was all this love and all these feelings uh so they make a sort of peace and he <laughs> he says like kind of offhand right as he's leaving he's like oh i i thought i saw you at that uh that thing that i blew up at a couple of weeks ago and you know it's crazy and she tries to catch the elevator before it goes down and uh, doesn't catch it. And she's like, she you see her open her folder and she has the signs that she was holding up in the audience. And you just see her decide not to tell him mm-hmm. that it was her, that she was there. And I just love that little, like, too many cap on the end of it. like Too many puppet masters going on here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh... My favorite scene was... As they're leaving, and he, and she's following him to the elevator, and and first off, she she approaches him, and he's like, "It's after nine. and he keeps walking. Uh-huh. And he's like walking down a hole. He's like, "You know what? Enough of this." And he opens up a control room door, and he starts talking to the people. You know, you guys did a great job tonight. You know, this new stuff. It's a team effort, and I'm really proud. And and then he realizes this is not my control room. Ah, forget it. And then he just turns and walks away. <laughs> He's like, the hell with it. <laughs> Good show. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, this, I think, was a longer, longer than an hour episode. Normally, mm-hmm. they're an hour. But, like, there's just so, all of these episodes are so dense like that, where there's just so much going on and high stakes and 
great dialogue, great characters, great everything. Um, and, you know, saying the kind of things that nobody else was saying. And I think that's uh, that's why my mom loves it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's worth mentioning that it is an HBO show. So it is. Oh, that is mm-hmm. true. It is a higher quality um, and cussing. So there was yes. there was some cussing. If you were a huge Law and Order fan, you ever wanted to hear Jack McCoy curse his face off, <laughs> this show is for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, he, they make a, a good bit of fun about how Charlie is usually drunk. <laughs> Um, the Da Nang story. <laughs> I was at a bar in Da Nang just now. now? No, in uh, 1963. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So I think that wraps it up for our our independence. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk some television moms. So uh, stay tuned. Geekade is hitting the road again, and there's going to be plenty of opportunities to meet up with us in person in the coming months. Why would you want to do that? I think the better question is, why wouldn't you? Our first stop is at ACBC, that's the Atlantic City Boardwalk Con, May 13th through 15th at the Atlantic City Convention Center in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Evan, Dean, and Matt from the Paper Cuts podcast will be there, as will I, Chris from the Stone Age Gamer podcast, uh, be joining them too. We will all be walking the show floor and going, giving interviews and high fives to everyone that we meet, whether they want us to or not. Then, Brandon and Travis from Apathetic Enthusiasm will be at the amazing Hawaii Comic Con, May 20th to the 22nd at the Hawaii Convention Center. They provided some excellent coverage last year, and it seems likely that they will be doing the same thing this year, unless they decide to intentionally provide bad coverage. But that doesn't seem like them, does it? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Hopefully not. Anyway, if you are in the Hawaii area, make sure you seek them out. Then, we're off to Too Many Games, June 24th to the 26th at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center with the Stone Age Gamer Podcast. Not only will they be gallivanting about the show floor and hanging out at the StoneAgeGamer.com booth, but they might just have a few other tricks up their sleeve as well. TMG is one heck of a show, and, a, and good gaming fun is promised to everyone who enters. Next stop is Garden State Comic Fest, July 9th through the 10th at Menon Arena in Morristown, New Jersey. This is GeekAid's biggest show with many of our writers, podcasters, and video talent on hand. If it's comic-related, it's going to be there. Plus, the Paper Cuts podcast will be continuing their annual panel tradition. If you've ever seen these shows, you know that things get... kind of weird. But in a fun way. More details on this one are coming soon. But that's just the first leg of our tour. Keep your eyes open on geekade.com for all of our latest stops, as well as all new original content. We post every single day. From movies to TV to reboots and more, there have been many, many, many incarnations in the Star Trek franchise over the years. But which is the best? Geekade's Trish Reyes thinks she has the answer. She makes a solid argument that any fan of the golden age of television should be a fan of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Check out the finer points of her argument and see if she can sway your opinion to align with hers in why you need to watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine, located in the think tank. Apathetic Enthusiasm tried something new this week. They answered questions from you, the listener. 
Well, maybe not you specifically. I don't know if you listen to that with that enthusiasm or not, but you should. They are funny, cool, and great-looking, interesting dudes. Brandon and Travis answer questions about Aquaman, Howard the Duck, Lost, and all kinds of other random topics. So get to know the hosts and their opinions just a little bit better in this week's Apathetic Enthusiasm, Episode 65, Apathetic AMA, Q&A. Geekade is a place where our contributors geek out on whatever they're passionate about. Our newest writer is here to geek out on all-natural living. Amanda Fleissner, a.k.a. the all-natural geek, has tips to share to help people live a simple and clean life using only the gifts provided by the world around us. In her first offering, she explores how the sun can help get out stains better than any overpriced artificial stain remover on the market. Head on over to the ThinkTech to learn how in The All-Natural Geek. Here comes the sun. Like in many sports, a participant's entrance music can have a profound effect on the crowd. Whether you love or hated the Yankees, everyone looked up when Mariano Rivero trotted onto the field to enter Sandman. This practice has become particularly well-known in the world of wrestling, and GeekAid's Dan Ryan is here to show us all some of his favorite examples. Prepare to rock out to a major clip-a-thon in why I love wrestling, entrance music. You can catch all this great stuff, plus tons of other articles, videos, podcasts, and more right now at geekade.com. That's com. And we're back. Thank you for taking a listen to all of our commercials. Uh, in the second half, we're going to talk our favorite television moms. Um, I actually, you know... Did a little research, if you will, and I went to Google and I typed in top 10 television mothers, which then proceeded to give me the research results for the top 10, top 20, top 50, top 100. And I didn't agree with a lot of their lists. Ditto. Um, I, I guess I might have just maybe some weird choices, but like the one person that I picked on my list didn't show up on any of the lists Maybe because she might be too new, but I think it's been a couple of years now this character's been around. But um, we'll just you uh, let's just go one for one, and we'll just go around. You guys decide who goes next. I'm gonna say, like my first when when I was thinking my favorite television mom, <laughs> Sophia Petrillo. Patrio. From the Golden Girls. Golden Girls. Okay. I did see her on one of the lists. She was on there somewhere, but she was. I did too. She was way low. Pretty low. Yeah. This. Okay. The fact she's fantastic. If I. I love Golden Girls. I just haven't seen it in so long. And I remember that character being the funniest character. She is one of the funniest characters on the show. And she's one of those take no crap type of characters. She is. She. What I like best about it is I know in real life she is the youngest cast member and she acts the oldest and the crankiest and like the wisest. Like she made the the episodes of Golden Girls enjoyable for me because like she was really she was always like the the left curve. Whenever the episode was going in in a specific direction, she'd come in and and you know just change it with some witticism or some words of wisdom or whatever it may be or some insult it she was so much fun and so entertaining and i 
loved the relationship that she had with her daughter. Like, yes, she picked... She, her daughter was B. Arthur, right? Yes. yes. She picked on her and whatnot, but, like, deep down, and there were a lot of these moments, you saw that there was a love between mother and daughter on that show. And that's that's what... That's why I threw her on my list, because of that relationship between the two of them. Um, Karen. Hi. <laughs> As the resident... Uh, this week's episode, mother. The actual I shall mother. Go next. Of- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I'm going to start with one that I also did not see on any lists, which strikes me as odd because she comes from a family show okay. where there were a lot of mothers, <laughs> and none of them were on the list. Um, Camille Braverman, the matriarch uh, of the family that we see on Parenthood. Oh. Um, so you know, some might call this a cheat and think of her more of a, as a grandmother than a mother because by the time we see her on the show, she's got grown children and they have their own children. But you have to be a mother before you can be a grandmother. And when you're a grandmother, you're still a mother. It's sort of required. Um, like you need so, to be a mother before grandmother. I say she qualifies. Uh, she is the mother to the four Braverman kids. Um, I... It's, Something one of the things that I love about her so much, I guess, is just I identify her as a mother figure from my own perspective because because I'm that age of her children where I'm I'm an adult and I have my own children. Maybe not as old as the characters on the show, but like I don't exactly see her as my mom, but in that ge- same generation, and uh, she's just. <laughs> She's just such a beautiful person. She really has, like, just the wisdom of having been around all these years. She's got this crotchety old husband, and they have a great relationship. She knows how to, like, deal with him and treat him and (laughs) understand where he's coming from and not get into too many fights, despite the fact that he's a cranky old, cranky (laughs) old man. Zeke is very much Zeke. (laughs) And and she's always there for both her kids and her grandkids. Still, like whenever they need her, she doesn't she doesn't insert herself into her kids' life more than they need her. But they can they always can come to her with anything, and she always just gives them that sort of clarity that you sometimes need from your mom. Mm-hmm. And I love her. That's the point. That's like that's the reason <laughs> to have the mom on any show. Also, like, way to age, Bonnie Bedelia. Holy, <laughs> holy crow. She, uh, I mean, I don't know if she did anything between this and being a diehard, but, you know, she still looks, I mean, she looks age appropriate, but she looks really beautiful for her age. Nice. Nice. I'm really glad you mentioned her because she was, she was on my list um, I actually picked a different character from this show, but we'll get to we'll get to her later. <laughs> well, why don't you go next? You're next. I will go next, and I'm going to save my uh, my parenthood choice for later because uh, my first choice was the first name that popped into my head, and she's a horrible mother, but she's so much fun to watch, and that would be Mallory Archer. <laughs> <laughs> I love this character because she is awful. <laughs> she is just a horrible, awful, controlling woman. 
but she's so funny. Like where I, I don't really find Peg Bundy to be all that entertaining to watch. Like she fits in that show, mm-hmm. but like I find her really just kind of disgusting a lot of the time. Mallory is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> she is just hysterical. I mean, there's, she's always drinking. She's, she has this crazy sense of self-entitlement. She's awful and controlling to Archer, who is indeed awful, but clearly because of his mother. <laughs> I I love this character to death. She's fantastically amusing. She's a mother in like the technical sense in that she gave birth to Archer, but she has like no interest in any of the motherly parts of that role. Yeah, that's about it. Other than like Telling him what to do. And and requiring, like, it, feeling that she deserves all the adoration of being a mother without having done really much of any mothering in her Wait, life. Not, not just the adoration of being a mother, the adoration of being a good mother. Yes, a good mother. <laughs> oh, God, I love Archer. I'm not surprised that you picked an animated character. I'm very proud of you, sir. All right, now... Thanks. Who do I go with next? All right. When I was younger and, you know, growing up in New York, I had a very Hispanic family. Okay. My mother, my grandmother, my aunt, they were, they were a triad. We, we were always in each other's lives. And a lot of the stuff that they watched, I grew to love because it was always around me. Um, my second pick is, and it's sort of cheating because it wasn't, she wasn't always a mother on the show, but it is Lucy Ricardo. Oh. Um, I grew up with I Love Lucy. My mom is a fan of I Love Lucy. My aunt is a huge fan. Um, granted, you know, Lucille Ball was a wacky comedic actress, and that's what the show mainly was about. But towards later on in life, when she actually gave birth, they they timed, you know, her having a child on the show with her actually really having a child with Desi Arnaz. Um, she became a mom later on, and the 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 zany and wackiness that was Lucille Ball and and Lucy Ricardo, like it felt real. Like I, I enjoyed her characteriz her caricaturization of what a mother is and what their life was. I just, I really, it's like a a, a part of my history. It's something that I grew up with. So that's why you know when when I think mom, not only is it because of my mother's like for the character, it's also because she was actually a pretty awesome mom. She was fun and and entertaining and silly. She met Superman at one point in time and. <laughs> I have fuzzy, fuzzy memories of I Love Lucy, but I, I, what I do recall from that show, I can see her being like a really loving, fun mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. I still be also because that's sort of like the standard for the time was like there were no flawed moms on TV. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I still don't understand how she got pregnant because they had separate beds for so many seasons. I'll explain it to you after the show. Okay, all right. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, you're up, Karen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, going from a, a sort of perfect mom to a <laughs> not a very flawed mom. Um, uh, Lorelai Gilmore. Oh. I 
I'm looking at Chris because I'm like, did I just steal one of yours? <laughs> nope. Uh, I'm, I'm, and I'm surprised. She was on my list, but not on my short list. Yeah, this playing. is a case of a mom character that is uh, walks the line between mom and friend to her daughter. Mm-hmm. She got pregnant when she was 16, and so she's still in her early 30s when we see the character on the show with her teenage daughter, and they are... Uh, the husband, the father is not in the picture, and the two of them are like thick as thieves. And a lot of the uh, drama in the Gilmore Girls came from the conflict of like, as Rory grew up and went through all whole bunch of difficult teenage stuff. What she really needed more was a mom, but what she really had was a friend. <laughs> and so there was a a lot of struggles there with uh, you know Lorelai trying to. To, to like uh, have a better relationship with her daughter than she had with her mother and at the same time give her daughter what she needed in you know s- some form of structure and uh, and motherly traditional motherliness and and that kind of interplay was always interesting to me on that show but the 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 way <laughs> I mean they, they went through a lot on that show when the two of them would fight, it was like, it was heart-wrenching. It would just kill me the way, like, but they're best friends and their mother and daughter, and now, right now, they're mad at each other, so they're neither. So, like, you know, they can't go, can't, can't, she, the daughter can't go talk to her best friend about how bad her mom is, and she can't go talk to her mom about how bad her best friend is, because they're both the same person. So it's that much worse when you get in a fight, but it's that much better when they make up because then you know you have two those two roles fulfilled in one person just just think about how much shorter the show would be if she was actually a really good mom <laughs> i know there would be no show <laughs> like no go make a cw show about somebody else there's nothing here <laughs> we got nothing moving on <laughs> chris keep us rolling <sighs> well, all right well uh all right my next one is I didn't even know how to. Uh, there's no introduction that will make sense. Cat Stark. Okay. She was awesome. Catelyn Stark. She Good is ball. just awesome. And right up till the moment she died, she was incredible. Just what a fiercely protective and badass mom. Like. Of all the women in in Game of Thrones, like that world is not good to women. Really, <laughs> it is, is awful Come on. to women. And I just, every time, she just had such a commanding presence. She loved her children with a remarkable ferocity. And, God, her final moments on camera when she's killed at the Red Wedding. Spoilers! Just just (laughs) gut-wrenching. Just her scream. Everything about her reaction was so frickin' real of just the absolute horror and pain of what she had gone through. Cat Stark is awesome. She's just awesome. You know, you know that- how, you know how in some movies and even in TV shows they like hide a, a, an aspect of what's going to happen just so that they can get actors and actresses real responses. Like when the alien, the first time the alien pops out of that dude's chest, nobody on stage <laughs> knew that was actually going to happen. So that girl crying in the background was real. Like she was really mm-hmm. scared. That scene where you saw. The amount of of 
love and anger and sorrow all in one split second, it looked real. Mm-hmm. Like, it was perfectly done. And in that world, that that world of Game of Thrones, that being a mother is the only role for that character to have, and she, like, has it. She like, she nails it, and so much better. She's great at her job. So much better than everybody else in that world. So much better than everyone else in her family. I mean, contrast her with Cersei. Oh, yes. <laughs> As a mom. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's she was just, she was such a great character, and, like, I, it, was, it sucks that she was killed, but it was... It worked so well for the story. It's like he can't complain about it. It was like it's like wash dying. Like yeah, that that ripped out my soul, but I can't be mad cuz it was so good. It was so awful, but it was so good. Right, I'm getting emotional. I, yeah. <laughs> it matters that much more because of how much you love that character. Exactly, yeah. And it was yeah, Cat Stark, outstanding. Outstanding mom. Good pull, sir. Good pull. All right, for my final choice, this will, I, I guarantee you, this will not be on anyone else's list but mine. <laughs> she wasn't anywhere near the top 50, 100 listing, but, <sighs> okay. Her name is Beverly Goldberg. She is the mother oh. from the Goldbergs. Really? Yes, and the reason I chose this woman is because I've only seen this show maybe five or six times, but it. It, I feel as if someone took a snapshot of my mother when <laughs> I was that age and made a live action television show about her because the 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 love the 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 smotheriness the uh, like <laughs> just the way she treats her children in a they will always be children kind of way. That's how I grew up. That was my mom. And when when I first saw this show was coming on, you know, on the air, and I just saw the trailers, I'm like, oh my god, this is like a window into my life. <laughs> I mean, Wendy uh, Mc I think her name is. She like that. She that's not her normal character. She plays kind of a ditzy character most of the time. She was on what was that um that police show. Where the, the the lead cop was always wearing those really tight short shorts, Reno Reno nine one one. Yes, she's from there. Like she is a comedic actress, and she does such an entertaining job on this show. And it, like it, I watching an episode, I'm like, yep, been there, yep, fully understand that. And I I I, I feel some sort of kind like the, the the lead child, you know, the the adult. The older boy, I mean, like, I feel like they were looking at me at times as well. So maybe that's why I like this character so much. But she is such a loving and mushy, gushy type mom. And, you know, that's what I grew up with. So. Oh, I know, right? I'm sweet like that. <laughs> I just can't imagine you, like, being mushy, gushy with your mom. I know, see, but that's, that's so the cute. thing. I wasn't mushy, gushy. She was. I was the Aww, one that was like, that's oh, even come cuter. On. Stop it. <laughs> that's awesome. As a mom, I just, I'm going to be doing that to my kids forever. So I'm, <laughs> I'm 100% in favor stuff, of yeah. that. Nice. <laughs> All right. Sorry, kids. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So for my last choice, I had to go with a classic. Somebody that like just embodies is one of my first um, things that I saw on television that really I was like, yes, this is what a mom is. Uh, and that is Marge Simpson. <laughs> I mean, best mom ever. I don't know. <laughs> but she was always there for her kids. She's always there for her husband. Um, she's <laughs> the the older I get, the the more appreciation I have for her because you know, as you watch it as The Simpsons as an adult, you can sort of you know see whenever they they focus an episode on Marge, it's sort of like you get to see the kind of a uh, special kind of hell that moms go through sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That they never kind of really let their families see, but uh, when you get to see Marge on her own and sort of get get to focus on her and what her wants and needs are, it's it's really interesting to see the mom as a person and as a mom. Because um, I, I know they've done stuff uh, over the years of, you know, Marge wants to do this or Marge tries to do that and... It it never seems to work out for her. Really seems to just solidify her role as like this is your calling in life is to be a mom to these kids and a wife to this dumb husband. <laughs> but but she she's great at it, and uh, it's what she was born to do. And uh, I don't know when I think mom, I think Marge Simpson. I I actually. I agree with you, and I didn't put that on my list because I figured one of you two somebody else gonna was going to take it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. Not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> All right, Chris, round us off. All right. Um, well, you had mentioned uh, uh, Camille Braverman and Lorelai Gilmore, and I remember <laughs> I remember looking at the you know the lists of all the top uh, moms, and none, the first one that came to my mind was Camille, and then I saw Lorelai on the list, and I was like, Lorelai is good, but I feel like. And the more I thought about it, Sarah Braverman is probably one of the my my favorite moms I've ever seen on television because she is she is, she's a very similar character. It's Lauren Graham uh, plays Sarah um, Sarah Braverman, and she's very similar character to Lorelai Gilmore, except she seems a lot more flawed, um, and she's in a such such a different position. Whereas Lorelai Gilmore lives in Stars Hollow, which clearly isn't on earth and comes from <laughs> a lot of money so like you know a lot of her her struggles were self-imposed from not wanting to take money from her parents who had all of the money oh i forgot that she came from money like like you were i forgot yeah. about that in in uh, in parenthood she had a lot of very real struggles and i loved watching that character so much because she you know, she had that same sense of independence that Lorelai had, except, you know, th- there wasn't as much to fall back on. Like, there was, she always had a place to live with her parents. And in fact, she moved back in with her parents. But it wasn't like, you know, there, there was a financial hardship involved in that to an extent. And I, I loved watching this character find, just find herself, find what she was good at. And the struggles of finding what she was good at. You know, she failed at things in this show. She tried different careers and they didn't work out for her until she eventually found something that clicked and found someone that she clicked with. And I also think that she, during all of that process of all that individual character growth that I think 
she had more of and more believable uh, versions of than other characters in the show. I'm looking at uh, the, what's her, the youngest daughter, the one that all of a sudden her husband became a complete jerk for no reason at all. And then the other mom that decided to open a school, uh, whatever, um, <laughs> with all of her struggles, she was still a great mom to her kids. And she had a similar kind of, there wasn't a huge age gap between her, her and her kids. She clearly got pregnant very young, but she, I, I feel like, you know, she didn't always do a perfect job, but she always tried really hard to be the best mom possible and be there for her kids. And I loved watching this character on that show. She was one of my favorite people in the show besides Zeke, because Zeke is awesome. <laughs> you could really see her trying to live up to the example that her mom set and trying yes. to be as good a mom as her mom was. Absolutely. And she she had a lot of both of her parents' you know, personality in that character. It was just it was such a well designed character. And Lauren Graham did such a good job of portraying her and, you know, the way she interacted with her brothers and her sister. And it was all, it was great. I think Sarah Braverman is just, is, might be my all time favorite TV mom. I, I haven't been able to think of anyone I like better. Uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, Marge Simpson crossed my mind, uh, as well. And there was, I had a short list at work and I left it at work and I just kicking myself <laughs> for it. I can't remember who else I had on my list, but, the the three that I mentioned tonight were the ones that uh, uh, definitely stuck out in my mind, and Sarah Braverman was my number one. Because while you know Mallory Archer is a is a hoot and Cat Stark is friggin' awesome, like Sarah was so relatable. And I mean, I you know, as much as I can relate to a mom, but I mean, I think she was just a fantastic. Well, you character. can relate to being a parent. I can, yes. Very good. I mean, I as I was working up my list, I wanted to try to put. Mona Robinson on it, and if you don't know who Mona Robinson is, that is the mother of Angela Bauer, mm -hmm. the lead mother from Who's the Boss. But that's Who's the Boss. Yeah, I, I just I couldn't, in all good consciousness, say that she was a good mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> entertaining, but if you're looking at that character, you gotta go Sophia. Yeah, yeah absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It was, it was interesting because when when you pull up any sort of you know, IMDb search about moms and whatnot, you see how many amazing motherly characters have been on television. And I mean, all from all walks of life, from all different aspects. And it's amazing how many strong female motherly characters are on TV. It's actually a really impressive thing. I mean, <laughs> it was funny because as I'm looking through my, the list the first time, you know, you see the the the, the staples, you know, Samantha Stevens and and Carol Brady and and then Morticia Adams was like on this one list. Like those are the top three. I was like, oh, this is a good list right here. I like this list. <laughs> so, all right, I think that about wraps us up, Chris. Here's to moms. We love you. Yes, yes, we do, uh, Chris. Give us the spiel. Well, the spiel is that you can get in touch with us at mail at geekade.com, as well as all flavors of social media that we inhabit. 
You can like us on Facebook, find us on Instagram at Geekade, subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels for all our latest video content, and follow us on Twitter at the underscore Geekade, or follow this show specifically at Twepcast. You can also find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Geekade Chris, that's Geekade K-R-I-S. Evan is at Geekade underscore Evan. And Karen is at Shoot underscore the underscore moon. If you're interested in more information about any of the shows we discussed tonight, be sure to check out our show notes, which I work tirelessly on during the show. <laughs> and while you're at it, you can also subscribe to this and any of our other wonderful podcasts on iTunes, where if you're super nice, you can leave us a review, because any and all feedback is welcome and appreciated. Again, always remember to keep your eyes on geekade.com. We post something new every single day. I love you, Mom. Back to you, Evan. All right. Listen, this one was special. I... I... Every Mother's Day, I try to figure out what I'm going to get my mom, and my mother's relatively difficult to shop for. Um, she never wants anything except for me to come over more often, which is just not, I can't buy that. So my mother has been asking me endlessly when what shows she can listen to and whatnot, and I know that uh, <laughs> some of the topics and some of the words we may use will not... Not be appealing to my mom. So I tell her, don't move along. We'll, I'll find you something. So when, when I, I, I thought about what can I do and trying to make this as clean as possible. Yes, there may be some slight editing done <laughs> afterwards, but, um, really moms, all of them, specifically mine as well. We love you and appreciate everything that you do for us. So. From all of us here at this week's episode, I'm Evan. I'm Karen. I didn't think of anything funny, so I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. Love you, Mom. Yeah, you're going to have some bleeps. You son I, hold on. It wasn't me. Karen. Karen, 5588. Or 5548. Karen, 5656. Karen, 5611. All set. Karen. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, let's start talk about who started the show by saying you're shit out of luck. Did I say that? Yes, you did. You said if you haven't seen these shows and you're worried about spoilers, you're shit out of luck. Well, and then Christopher said we used to watch this show and laughed our asses off. All right. Oh, well, so we're all guilty. Okay. No, Chris. Chris said fuck. I did. He's actually he did. He tends to say fuck later, but almost immediately wow. right off the bat, he said We couldn't go I am sorry I didn't. I couldn't not curse. We, no, all of us couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's more impressive is that I didn't notice any of your curses. <laughs> <laughs> Neither I did I. <laughs> didn't even register. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't write fast enough at one point. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I like the fact that the very little editing that you did was to chime in good looking. <laughs> it just seemed to fit. You made some other changes to like make it make sense where mine didn't so much. Or <laughs> words missing and whatnot. You know what? No. Ballpark flame grilled patties in a bag. I am not okay with it. This shit. I'm just not okay with it. Got all smushy-mushy at the end there. And this concludes our broadcast day.